I'm Tony Lockwood, founder of Thompson Wright Partners, and I'm delighted to welcome you to the latest episode of Inside Track, where I discuss business transformation journeys with leading figures in industry. Hello, and welcome to episode 11 of the Inside Track Business Transformation Journeys podcast. As you will know, if you've listened to earlier episodes, I'm passionate about transformation and change. And after spending the last 25 years supporting organizations through change, I have been through some really great experiences and a few others that I shudder when I think back to them. The key learning point for me throughout this time is that experience counts. I know that you can say that in almost every situation, but I really do believe that when delivering change within an organization, having an experienced leader and experienced people throughout the program team does make the difference. That was the rationale for establishing Thompson Wright Partners, to provide organizations with access to the right people with the right experience at the right time, to ensure that they can successfully deliver their transformational objectives. And it was the reason for launching this podcast. The opportunity to learn from other people's experiences has helped me enormously throughout my career. We all build our experience from others, trying things out for ourselves and working out what works and what doesn't. The whole premise, therefore, of this podcast is for experienced transformation and change leaders to share their stories, in many cases, warts and all, describing approaches that have worked for them in different circumstances, whilst also highlighting things that may not have worked out as they expected and the lessons learnt as a result. That's why we focus on their stories, their experiences within actual programmes and not on theoretical models or hearsay. The feedback that we have been getting has highlighted that it is this richness of detail that you are finding most interesting. Today's podcast is slightly different in that, given that we have now released 10 episodes, I thought I'd step back and reflect on each of these initial 10 volunteers. And I should say, once again, let me thank them all for investing their time into what was and still is a new podcast, with at the start no audience. Fortunately, that is no longer the case. When I have looked back on the previous 10 episodes, there have been an absolute consistency in message an absolute consistency in what has been successful, and in most cases, consistency in the things that each person has highlighted as experiences to learn from. However, at the same time, each has brought their unique experience to life with small nuances, and I thought that it would be interesting to share some of the ones that I have found really interesting. As such, today's podcast will be a montage of some of the key points raised to date. The first area that I'd like to review is how we define transformation. We have had some interesting descriptions. Mm. So we've got to remember that transformation, you know, it is radical change. Otherwise it'd be called change, not transformation. So it's radical, it's fundamental. And all that drives into uncertainty and risk into a business and to people. Yeah. And I'm far more interested, and I think early on in my career I realised Business is nothing without its people, or a program's nothing without its people. You put transformation in front of people, they become uncertain. You've got to be honest with those people and be at front of centre of. You're right, we don't know all the answers yet. Transformation is about taking an organisation you know, to, to somewhere fundamentally different. 
you know, change is about disruption in business. So for me, the transformation piece has three core elements to it. The first element is, is delivering strategy. The second piece is now that we know what this new way of doing things looks like, and we've aligned all of our policy, our process, our systems, everything is reflecting this in the way that people are going to do it. How are we going to get our people to take up that new approach over the approaches that they're accustomed to and very comfortable with? And actually quite wedded to because sometimes culturally or psychologically that is their territory. So how do we get them to adopt this new world effectively? And the third thing, and this is again because, you know, as we pointed out, there's a risk that maybe people might not adopt this or there's a risk that actually because we've been digging and unpacking so much, we're actually blowing out of out of proportion here it's much bigger than what we thought originally the third pillar is the actual project machinery around Mm. this piece of work how it is governed how it is how it is managed how it is reported on and how configuration and change happens within the paradigm i also thought that the way that each discuss their perspective on the focus of the transformation, really interested. But the world moves on, and very often transformation are even multi-year programs. So what you have kind of, uh, kind of experienced as an organization three years ago to now is very, very different. Sure. Especially now where we have a, a clearly kind of a, a book environment, it's very volatile, things are changing really quickly, customer behavior is changing quickly. And we as, um, as transformation and change professionals always need to scan our environment and understand what's happening because just because we have started a transformation in a certain scope or a certain kind of design that doesn't mean we implement it that way so being able to kind of reflect on it and step back and, um, and evaluating is the transformation that we execute still the right one is for me a key capability that many people do forget um, because you're getting so busy with delivering the transformation, but sometimes it's more important to take the step back and, and figure out, is it still the right thing to do? And I very often, when I run transformations, I'm using kind of my exec sponsor kind of to have that challenge. So I would, I would sometimes on a regular basis kind of sit down with my kind of board member or exec member that I delivered the transformation for and, and, and just step back and say, are we still doing the right thing? And also, are we doing it in the right way? Yeah. So, you know, actually getting to a personal level with the people who are going to be doing the work on the ground is really important. And understanding what makes them tick, both inside and outside of work, is important. The other thing that I did, and I still do on a regular basis, every fortnight on any program that I run, I did this in construction as well, I would pull the whole team together, all the all of the people including the third parties uh so in government there was accenture it, it, it was eds at the time hp now and bt all of them i mingled in with the client teams with the civil servants co-located everybody into a single place and i would do half hour stand-ups every two weeks 
right, and tell them what was happening outside of what they're doing in that bubble and tell them how bloody brilliant they're doing mm. at contributing to the whole program. You need to make sure that everyone has a common understanding of why you're doing something, what you're doing, how you're doing it, and you know what happens next. But I think you can do a lot of those things on one or two pages. Yeah, I was just going to say, you don't need a 70-page document, do you? No, you don't. And I think that is self-defeating. I mean, I remember working with a guy years ago, and something that he said really stuck with me, which is, if you can't explain something on one side of A4, it's because you don't understand it. Yeah, no, I agree was aimed for is every project or program, regardless of spend, it could be a 70 million pound um, replatforming, needs to be explainable on one side of A4. Yeah. Now maybe you have slightly more detailed documentation for different audiences, but something that everyone can go to and say, yep, yeah, that's it, I get it. When delivering transformational change, we will always be presented with challenges. Some of the more frequent ones that have been highlighted include. Tended to be based on uh, a little bit having the blinkers on of what is the distinct problem or opportunity here. Over a number of years, you tend to find it's the same fleas, different dog, where an awful lot of organizations, in fact, if I think about it, pretty much every organization that I've worked in or even heard about has exactly the same problem. Uh, and for me, that's where they, the stats like the 70% of change programs fail, according to the Harvard Business Review, but a couple of other interesting ones. So according to Forbes, mismanagement of change is the number one reason CEOs get fired. Well, McKinsey talk about large projects running 45% over budget, 7% over time, and delivering 56% less value than predicted. Yeah. So in my mind, and based on experience, this all comes down to change being poorly understood. Make sure that you define your transformation outcomes based on outcomes, not on deliverables or output. Yeah. Uh, seems only to be a few letters difference, but it's a quite a big difference between output and outcome. So making I, sure... I, just, uh, just to be clear then, how do you differentiate between those two things? For me, kind of the output is as a physical deliverable I achieve. So for example, uh, let me make it specific. Um, in uh, When I was at the co-op uh, as the head of the uh, transformation practice called Group here in Manchester, we had the discussion about a mobile application that we wanted to develop for our membership base. Um, and if you would define an output of that, it would be a mobile application with the features of I can access my club card, I see my points, my rewards I can use, and I might be able to pay with it. If I look at it as an outcome, an outcome would say something like my customer engagement or my membership engagement is improving by 10 percentage point in the next 12 months, and it is a seamless shopping experience from start to finish. Yeah. If I have defined it as an outcome, it's a lot easier for the sponsor to let go of a certain function within a mobile app. But if I have defined my output such specific stage that I say I have following five features, it is really difficult to let go because you're kind of almost admitting I failed or I have changed my plans. Contrary to popular belief, 
pound notes and money are never the restricting factor on a transformation. Yeah. It, it's always it's always uh, the capability of people either that you haven't got the right sort of skills and experience, or so often people devoting the right amount of time. Yes. Uh, from you know senior leaders doing transformation as a bit of a hobby, as opposed to being truly you know, committed and um, and and investing the necessary time and, and, and energy in it, and then similarly, you'll find you'll have sort of your you know, people single points of failure where there'll be certain people that have such critical skills that they're, they're pulled in in all directions, and it's those things that slow down decision making, slow down progress, and ultimately slow down your your transformations more than than having sufficient pound notes. The need to take your people on the journey and engagement came up time and time again. Also part of that change curve, you know, no one, you know, we, we, all, we all normalize our environments and we all know that change takes a toll on us. You know, it's, it's, you've got to get over the bow wave before you can start kind of yes. moving forward. And so every time you do change individually and collectively, you have to go through the stages of kind of denial, anger kind of bargaining and hit your rock bottom and then come back up the side and see the hope and delivery and, and make sure we take them on the journey and recognizing that transformation you probably have to tell people three times everything you have to tell them the first time and they look at you the second time just because change doesn't just doesn't happen overnight it's yeah. a it's a iterative process um, and actually, the best change is when you've told them two or three times and then they say to you, well, actually, I think, I quite, I think it would be better if we did it quite just this way. Mm. And then actually, you know, you've really caught change because actually they've taken it on board and they've made it their own. Absolutely. Well, they really won the argument. So I think the, the first thing is, is emotional intelligence, being able to read that audience, whoever that audience be, and being able to go on the journey, make sure they're coming on the journey with you. you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Being very open um, with them. And for me, um, it's one of the things I try and do going into um, uh, a different um, business is um, uh, be as open as possible with the, um, the individuals. Um, but part of it is, um, first of all, adapting, you know, taking my toolkit with me, but not saying, okay, here is the methodology is understanding the situation and then say, okay, for this um, uh, um, uh, um, uh, problem, I need a spanner, I need a, uh, um, whatever it may be. Yeah. You get the right things out for that situation. You've then got to be, um, to work with the business um, to come up with the right solution and not do it to the business. Yeah. I think there are a, a number of consultancies out there that will come in and just do it to the business, almost irrespective of the situation. Um, and then it's the, the piece you were talking about being as open as possible with the business and particularly with the employees. Exceptional communications, making sure that you really understand your audience, uh, making, understand, making yourself um, fully aware of um, how people are impacted by the changes around them and how that in, in um, turn impacts the way that they work and how they're able to deliver. And so communications becomes um, the basis of understanding 
who you're dealing with, how they're impacted by change, um, how the, the results of change will be delivered through that process of, of the people involved with it. And building momentum in the process is seen to be so critical. Successful are these daily stand-ups. 10, 15 minutes in the morning, five minutes in the afternoon, um, just to, to ensure that everybody's in the same place in terms of what the priorities are, what's, uh, um, what, what the focus is for today, and then coming back at the end of the day, have we done it? What are the barriers? What do we need to resolve? What, what do we need to uh, get out of the way for tomorrow? Um, and that just starts to really build up the momentum really, really quickly. And people have got, they've got a, a feeling that they've got a, 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 a place to voice any concerns that they have. And it, and it, doesn't, it doesn't sort of fester then. People get into the, uh, into the swing of it and they, do, and they do voice their issues. And you just get into, the, as, you, as we were saying earlier, right into the detail really early on in the process. And for me, that's, that's yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree entirely. It's, it's SOPs. I mean, any, any project or program, there's not a daily kind of stand up uh, for, for the team, for the immediate team. Yeah. That's, a, that's a project or program I'd be concerned about. Yeah. I have to keep a sense of urgency because I always believe if you've got the right people on the team, right people leading the team, then, then, then you have to build some momentum and change is easier with momentum. Yeah. A lot of organizations I've worked in uh, have had a key project, a key transformation project that's stalled, that they've just not been able to sort of get any momentum with. And finally, being focused on benefits and constantly checking back to see whether you're on track is another core area. There's the benefits realisation document. The you know, at the end of the project, um, when it's successfully in, did it deliver against that business case? How did it deliver against the business case? Did we realise the benefits? In fact, throughout the project, um, if, there's, you know, if, if the benefits aren't being realised, then the original business case... Um, benefits are going to be uh, eroded uh, and the end game they might not deliver you know in efficiency terms or cost saving terms what what they in, in, originally planned is it because the scope didn't stay on track is it because um, they just didn't manage the cost effectively throughout that program so you know big fan of, of getting the PID right at the beginning big fan of doing that post-mortem lessons learned the benefits realization you know against that original business case uh, only then do you know actually you succeeded or not, I think. Finally, a few little interesting asides. Getting people to drop what they know and stop letting that get in the way of what they don't. Yes. And also instilling in them through coaching, mentoring, encouragement, that ability to listen to what's being said as opposed to them listening for something they want to hear yes there was a term um i'll never forget we we used on on terminal five called progressive fixity 
<laughs> I've never heard it used anywhere else, but it was actually an understanding of, of, of when was your last responsible moment for nailing something. Up until that point, you wanted to try and keep it flexible because other things could change and you might have to adapt. Right. Um, or, or it gave you the chance to see whether something could be done in a different way. Sometimes you'd actually look at doing something faster but then you'd have to understand the implications of that on the, 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 how that was networked into the whole of the rest of the program and whether that was an, a, an advantage or not. And then the other big thing on Terminal 5 um, you know, I, I brought away from it was um, the combination of opportunity management with risk management. So as well as understanding what would make you later or uh, put your costs up or affect quality or affect safety or ultimately affect the... The, uh, negatively the passenger experience there was a as much a focus on opportunity on whether something could be done faster cheaper better more safely or, or in, enhance what passengers are going to do and, and, and what what uh, we tried to do was trade off um, risk and and opportunity first roughly 10 days of any assignment or any piece of work if there's more than one engagement with the clients is something which I call the reality check and the idea of that is look beyond the perception of what's going on and get to the truth because only by having the, the cold hard facts can you then work out what to do about it. And you know when there's a problem in construction you get everyone concerned around the table until it's resolved. Yeah. And, and I, I, I do that, you know, uh, consistently with all the programs that I've led. And it makes such a big difference. Yes. Yeah. Particularly when you include, you know, the stakeholders, whether they are easy or difficult stakeholders, you know, they all have uh, an equal share in the outcomes of whatever you're doing. And a lot of the times you can get the frontline staff bought into it, but the middle managers can be really, really challenging. Is that, have you experienced that as well? Absolutely, fully agree. And, and what I try to do normally is, um, when, as soon as I know what type of change we're kind of implementing, even if it's uh, at early stages of the program or project, do an impact assessment you figure out who is impacted and and what i have often done is uh, those impact assessments i'm doing with people that are not related to the change right. because they will they will kind of point you at impacted groups or people that you not even have considered in your thinking um it's it's quite challenging sometimes because you might end up doing more work but i think it's more sustainable work and has to be a better, better impact um, and, and therefore, very often when I do change management, I'm using almost all layers of an organization yeah. from the frontline staff that is directly impacted, even to the layer of, um, for example, their managers or their manager's manager that need to have in landing the change or communicating the change. I think the, um, the techie guys, they use this thing called a traceability matrix, you know, which which goes all the way through to the require from the requirements all the way through to you know delivery and all the system integrator piece and scope etc. Well, I extend that that matrix right the way from the strategy all the way down to the last piece of delivery. Right. So so each piece of my project is linked back through 
a deliverable a responsibility um, to the case for change through to the strategic intent. Right. Communication isn't about speaking, it's about listening. So there you have it. A quick review of the last 10 episodes of the Inside Track podcast. Hopefully you will have picked up a few snippets um, that you can take forward. And please do go back and listen to each of the podcast individually. As I highlighted at the start of this episode, the ability to integrate experience into your change programme is an essential factor in your ability to deliver the desired change. Thompson Wright Partners are about to radically change the way that you can achieve this. We have built an amazing network of experienced programming project leaders and managers and a real understanding of what they enjoy, what they are looking for and how they operate. This allows us to quickly and effectively identify for you the right people with the right fit at the right time. Our new subscription model provides you with a fixed priced approach to provide you with greater flexibility whilst reducing your overall cost. Look out for our upcoming announcement and launch. I hope that you have enjoyed this episode. Normal practice will resume in a couple of weeks when I'm joined by Hannah Merriello. See you in a couple of weeks. <laughs>